0: Good morning church. Uh, if you're visiting Christ Church today my name is Mark and I'm one of the ministers here and uh, I'd like to introduce this guy standing next to me. When I was 10 years old I went to Michigan Christian Service Camp in uh, southwestern Michigan and I went to a week by myself which was terrifying and they assigned me to a cabin and I took my stuff in with my mom and there was only one bed open in the entire cabin. It was full. But there was one, one bed at the bottom bunk And there was this kid on the top bunk who, the minute we put our stuff in, Mr. Friendly says to me, Hi, my name's Mike. What's your name? And I introduced myself. That was 40-some years ago, and we've been best friends ever since. And, uh, oh, nice. Mm. Uh, he's, He's had to work harder to be my friend, as you probably understand, but we've been... We've been friends a long time. We roomed in college together until he went and got married and had to go live with her. But uh, uh, we were best men in each other's weddings, and we've known each other a long, long time. You meet people in life. One of the things I love about the church is you make friends forever. Do you guys get that? We're not going to be friends just because we lived in Missouri. We're going to be friends because of Jesus Christ forever. And I celebrate that, that I've known Mike the majority of my life and we've been friends. He's had ministries in Michigan, Virginia, and now he's in God's State, Indiana, in Fort Wayne. And he's been there 11 years and serving very, very well in that state. Uh, There are some people you meet in life who know from the very youngest age what they're going to do. I always remember this about Mike. From 11, 12, 13 years of age at church camp, Mike always was committed that he was going to preach the gospel. I had no clue. I still don't know what I'm supposed to do, but Mike always did. And, uh, He's an amazing friend, he's a good preacher, I love him dearly, Um, and so the truth of it is we wanted, Heather and I wanted to introduce our friend to our church, and I want to introduce you to my friend Mike. Would you help Mike feel welcome here this morning? Thank you.
1: Two things I wanted to do today for you, the church family. One is to prove to you that your preacher has a friend. And also, check out this picture. I want you to see him when he had hair.
0: Okay, it's not the hair. Look how thin we were.
1: Then we both married women who were good cooks. This is the day we were ordained. We were both ordained the same day. I, in the morning, at my home church in Three Oaks, Michigan, and Mark that evening in his home church in South Bend, Indiana. And that day, the brotherhood and the world had no idea what was about to hit it. But by God's grace, uh, he's allowed us to preach the gospel. And uh, as we're a little bit older now and veterans in the ministry, I think the older we get, the less we know for sure. But the things we do know for sure, we're even more sure about, and that is God's word. I have admired this congregation from afar. I usually listen to the podcast, and, of course, Mark has told me all about you and the great work that you're doing, not only in this local area But around the world, I'm reminded of the words that Paul wrote to the church of the Thessalonians and said, We remember before God your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what a privilege and honor it is for me to share God's word with you today. There's so many stories I could tell about Mark. As he said, we've known each other for 38 years. 39 years. But I don't know if he ever told you the one about when we were rookie preachers. We went to a seminar in Chicago, and it was in one of these old neighborhoods, primarily uh, made up of immigrants from Europe. And the church was one of those old, stately church buildings. And they did things a little bit differently than what we had been accustomed to at Great Lakes Bible College. I mean, they had the stained glass, and the ministers wore some pretty fancy regalia. They would sort of have this cadence and sing song. The preacher would sing something, and the congregation would sing it back, and they had candles. And Mark and I, you know, just young preachers, really impressed. And Mark was really impressed with this one thing they had. There's a fancier word for it, but basically I call them incense pots. And incense would waft over the congregation And he said, I've got to take that back to my church in Michigan and try this. And so they went back. And, of course, the church didn't have much money, so they couldn't afford anything fancy or ornate. So he came up with the idea they're going to take some old Folgers coffee cans and paint them gold. And it was going to be a big Sunday, and he just couldn't wait. They actually practiced with the elders and deacons the night before. When the organist hit the right note, the guys were going to walk right down the center aisle with those incense pots, and it was going to waft over, and everybody was going to have a great time. So Sunday morning came, and Mark's just so excited. And the time comes. The organist hits the note. The leadership walks down the middle aisle and to his shock and chagrin. They were empty-handed. And he was trying to hide his disappointment and not wanting to break character. He just simply said to them, what did you do with your incense pots? (laughs) And in unison, they responded, we threw them out the windows when the bottoms got hot. (laughs) There's something about the ancient ways. And this congregation, as it's been between series and it's head guest speakers, this year has gone back to the ancient wisdom from the Psalms. What a great book the book of Psalms is in the Old Testament. I'd like you to open your Bibles or an app to Psalm 19. We're going to work our way through that psalm this morning. The psalms are primarily about connecting with God on a deep level, heartfelt prayer, worship, the pouring out of what's going on inside of us, good or bad, rejoicing or mourning. The Psalms basically cover the full gamut of human emotion. They're part of the Bible that's referred to as wisdom literature or the poetic books. And even in English, in the English translations of the Hebrew, several times you can kind of get an idea of the, the rhythm or the cadence uh, And the parallelism and the other literary devices, most of them were originally written as songs to be sung. In fact, several of them have musical notations and terminology in them. This book that we call Psalms was a songbook, a hymnal. The people of God sang these in the Old Testament and then also in the early days of the church. King David wrote about half of the Psalms, including the one we're going to spend some time looking at today, Also, Asaph, Moses, Solomon, and others. It's an ancient book of worship, a collection of lyrics written by many different people over a period of several centuries. The Psalms have much to teach us. One writer, Donald Williams, suggests several reasons to study the book of Psalms. The first one is renewal in worship. They teach us how to express our praise to God. They give us words that we can lift up to the Lord. The renewal in our own self-awareness, we're reminded over and again that he is God and we are not. They display the absolute mercy of the Lord and the walk of faith. And they give us a response to suffering and warfare in the world. Not all of the Psalms are happy or upbeat. Some of them are very heartfelt and the pouring out of angst and emotion, crying out, to the Lord. It was Jesus who referred back to Psalm 22 when he was on the cross and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he said that, it would have brought to mind immediately to the people who heard, Oh, that's Psalm 22. And if you'll read that psalm, it's amazing how hundreds of years before the actual crucifixion, how it describes that event in great detail. I heard about a guy who was walking down the street and walked in front of a florist's shop. And he saw the advertisement in the window. It said, say it with flowers. He thought, I'm going to do something for my wife. And so he went in and he ordered one rose. And the florist said, just one? He said, I'm a man of few words. (laughs) Our psalm today is one of relatively few words. But they teach us about how we can know God. And So I'm going to read through 14 verses. And then we'll unpack that together as we consider how to know God or how I can know God. Psalm 19, for the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then... I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David, in this text, I believe, gives us four ways we can know God. And the first one is, I can know God through creation. I can know God through creation. He begins praising God and just talking about how, what God made gives him glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. And even today we sing songs about that. That first song that we sang today, we talked about how God formed the oceans by his hand. The heavens declare all of God's creation. And you don't have to go very far and look around and see how beautiful this world is. And looking up into space. And David, as a shepherd, would have spent Many nights under that starry sky where the stars are especially brilliant in that part of the world. Uh, David would have known a little bit about the celestial bodies and he praises the Lord for that. He says, they alone speak. Do you remember when the people were praising Jesus and the Pharisees said, hey Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. And he said, if they're quiet, even the rocks are going to come out. God, being who he is, he's going to be praised by something, his creation. And even the sun, the moon, and the stars, just by their existence, they give glory to the Lord. Many of you probably like to watch the nature shows on PBS or Discovery Channel or uh, um, some of those kinds of programming. And I like to watch that as well. And every time I watch something like that, I think, how could you look around and just believe that it's just sort of happened? Design demands a designer. Creation demands a creator. Just last Sunday, it was what's called Super Moon Sunday, not to be confused with Super Bowl Sunday, but Super Moon Sunday is when the moon appears to be brighter and closer to the earth than it actually is. It reaches its fullest phase as the full moon and appears 14% closer and 30% brighter than a typical full moon. God has shown himself to man in thousands of ways, but the psalmist David simply says, If you want to see God, just go outside and and look up. It's right there, declaring the glory of the Lord. This is a theme that we see throughout Scripture. Psalm 8, verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 148 says, Let them, that is the sun, moon, and stars, praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. It was this idea of the majesty and the grandeur and the power of God that caused the hymn writer to write that song that our grandparents loved, that many of us still love. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. And he goes on and says, how great thou art. And this is the same kind of thing that David is doing, just talking about the greatness of God through what is created. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Rome, in Romans 1, verses 19 and 20, says, what may be known about God is plain, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, Paul appeals to creation, for the, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. His power and his nature can be seen in creation. He says, so that men are without excuse. Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin was the first human in space. And when he returned, Russian Premier Nikita Khrushchev proclaimed, he went up into space and he didn't see God. Well, if he'd have stepped out of that space suit, he would have. (laughs) Gagarin actually was a a believer, but uh, Khrushchev had to parrot the party line. A few years later, on Christmas Eve, 1968, in what was the most watched television broadcast to that time, on Christmas Eve, the crew of Apollo 8 read in turn, from the book of Genesis as they orbited the moon. Bill Anders, Jim Lovell, and Frank Borman recited these words In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved among the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light and that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place And let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. Recalling that event in 2008, Borman said that he received no instructions as to what to do during the broadcast, other than to do something appropriate. He said, we were told that on Christmas Eve, we would have the largest audience to have ever listened to a human voice these men trained scientists military pilots the first time a manned spacecraft left earth's orbit the first time it uh, orbited another celestial object intuitively they knew that the most appropriate thing to do was to give glory to god When I researched that story, just to make sure I had my facts straight this past week, I learned something that I had not known before, and that is that the famed atheist, Madeline Murray O'Hare, gathered together several people to sign a petition that this was an inappropriate use of taxpayers' dollars. Well, there were people that counter-petitioned and got about ten times as many signatures, but in spite of that, the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court threw the case out, citing that their jurisdiction did not extend to outer space. Don't you love it? (laughs) Naturalist William Beebe describes a ritual that he and Teddy Roosevelt used to go through. One designed to restore a sense of wonder. He writes, after an evening of talk, we would go out on the lawn and search the heavens until we found the one faint spot of light mist in the constellation Pegasus. And one of us would recite, that is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of 100 million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun. And after a moment, Roosevelt would grin and turn to me and say, now I think we are small enough, we can go to sleep now. Just the breath, the majesty of the creation of God. And David talks about the sun and how it rises in the morning and it just kind of struts across the sky. Look at me, I'm the sun. And like a bridegroom coming out, he's just so awesome that he found somebody to say yes. and Or like a, a champion athlete saying, I'm number one, I'm number one. But here's where it's different. In many ancient cultures, and even some still today, there are The people worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars, the celestial objects. And David, in pointing out those objects, says, we don't worship them. We worship the one who created them. We worship the one who tells the sun what to do, who put the stars in place, who put the moon where it's to go. The other night we had a campfire out back of our place, and we were just looking up into the stars. And one of our friends had a uh, an app you can download, and you can it's GPS related, and you point it to the section of the sky, and it'll show you all of the constellations. And you know some of the ones you know the Big Dipper and Orion and all that. Some of those constellations, I think those stargazers had way too much time on their hands because they they trace it. And I'm going, you got that out of those stars? But they show us of the power of the Lord. And so that sun, it, it just kind of goes, goes through the heavens that way through, the, through verses 5 and 6. So I can know God through creation. Paul writes to Colossians about Jesus. It says, he says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. But not only can I know God through creation, I can also know him through revelation. He sort of shifts gears here a little bit in this 6th verse, or the 7th verse and just like the perfection is seen in creation, especially in the original, the word of the Lord, his revelation is perfect. Here's a place in verses 7 through 11, a place in the Psalms where you can pick up the cadence and the rhythm. It actually reads like a song. There's two different kinds of revelation, at least. There's general revelation, and that's the first part where we were talking about creation. It kind of gives us an idea that there, there is something bigger, smarter, stronger, better than us. General revelation reveals some of God's attributes. But then there's specific revelation, and that would be what we call the Bible or the Word of God. And He, he just gives several different synonyms. And adjectives here, and it kind of had a bit of a, a cadence. Like even today, we can sort of pick up on songs. Like if, if let's just kind of work with me here. If I were, were to sort of lead out and say, da 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 da, boy, you guys are good. <laughs> I realized not too long ago that my knowledge of classical music basically comes from old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Now, I didn't do this in first service, but I think you guys have had probably a couple of extra cups of coffee. So I want you just to kind of set your Bible aside, and we're going to try this a little bit. Ready? We're going to do two times on the legs and then clap. All right, ready? We will, we will. Good job. All right, give yourselves a hand. So I don't know if it sounded more like Mozart or Queen. But David was a king, so it could have sounded like Queen. But he goes through and he just lauds God's word. And in a couple of weeks from now, you guys are going to go through Psalm 119, which that entire psalm is about the, the power and the depth of the word of God. But we get a little bit of a preview here. He says, just look at these. The law of the Lord is perfect. It means complete or whole, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord. Now, normally we don't think of laws as something that's all that good. James talks about the word of God and says it's the law that gives freedom. You know, you got on the highway and there's a speed limit sign. You don't think of that as giving freedom. But God's law gives us freedom. The New Testament writer says that his commands are not burdensome. And so we don't want to look at God's word as something that's restrictive or oppressive. But it's perfect and it frees us to do God's will. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, right. Giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. If you're a believer today, those are the kinds of attitudes that you need to have about God's Word. Jesus said that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He also said in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the longer we walk with Jesus, we're like a thirsty person in need of water, a hungry person in need of food. It's to fill our souls. It's to boost us up. It's to encourage us. It's to instruct us. That's why God gave us the Bible, not to simply add uh, another um, volume of literature to the world's libraries. Churches like this one resonate with those old restoration movement slogans like, no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible's silent, we're silent. Book, chapter, and verse for everything we believe and practice. David says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. And so I can know God through creation and also through revelation. And the third way I know him is through purification. And I hope it's not too much of a stretch of this text. But I believe that's what he's getting at here in verse 12 and 13. Who can discern their own errors Sometimes we don't know that we're going down the wrong path or that we're making a mistake. Paul told us that the things that were written down in the Old Testament were written for our instruction. Basically, so we wouldn't make the same mistakes or go down the same wrong paths that they did. But there's something purifying about God's word. If I who have have the Holy Spirit in me, And this word was written by the Spirit. If I'm coming to it with an open heart, and open mind, there are times when the word of God will bring conviction to my heart and lead me to repentance. You know, if some of you remember right before you got saved, you were convicted, you were pierced in the heart like they were on the day of Pentecost and you repented and were baptized. But that isn't the only time. Our our conviction, our uh, coming under that pierced in the heart by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is an ongoing thing. And so it convicts me. God's Word informs me. Maybe it informs me of something I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing or something that I'm not doing that I should be doing. Or And it also instructs me. I heard a long time ago uh, that the Bible isn't just a, a law book. Some people look at it that way and say, well, you know, God said I can't do this or I can't do that. God is not Interested in just taking away all your fun. His commands are not burdensome. But I heard that the Bible is a book of do's and don'ts. But if you make yourself busy doing the do's, you won't have time to do the don'ts. And so it purifies me. God's word, I can know God through purification. And every week we come together, we remember through communion, the Lord's Supper, his, Jesus' body and his blood that was shed and poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And so every week, somebody comes out onto this platform and they open a Bible or if they're not fully sanctified, an iPad. (laughs) (laughs) And they remind us that this word is true and that God loves us. And I can know God through purification. And then the last one is through meditation. Meditation. Now that's a a good biblical word that I think sometimes it gets missed or misunderstood in our culture. We think of meditation, we think of getting down, crossing the legs, which that waved bye-bye for many of us long ago. You know, and just kind of closing your eyes and um... Oh tagu siam, you know, and over and over again. That's the Eastern religion, is just to clear your mind. But Christian meditation is to fill it with the Word of God, to ruminate on it, to think about it, to bring it up over and over and over again. And I meditate on these truths. It reminds me that there is a God who is worthy of my worship and my praise. And I love how David ends this. It's a prayer. It's a wonderful prayer that you and I could do as we begin our day or as we end our day. You wake up and you're still in bed and you pray, Lord, today may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, the things I think about, may they be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And as we lie down at night, ready to go to sleep. We think back and, and just pray, Lord, I pray today that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart were pleasing to you. It's just a way to honor him and a reminder that he, to us that he is Lord. And so Father, just now as we prepare to continue to lift up our voices in praise in this place and even as we leave later, May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Let all who agree say amen.